If you're just joining us for the first time, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Overwhelmed, and we've been dealing with anxiety. And uh, let me just recap a little bit before I dive into this week. What we talked about last week is I really just kind of built a foundation of where anxiety actually comes from. I didn't really offer too many solutions or how we get rid of it. I just wanted you to understand where it actually comes from. And so the thing that I said is it started all the way back in the garden. It started all the way back in the beginning that when God created me and you, he created us with this emotion called vigilance. When God created the garden, he told Adam to do two things. He said, I want you to guard it, and I want you to protect it. And so he gave him this God-given emotion, this God-given mood of vigilance to stand and protect what was rightfully his. And all the enemy does in anxiety is he takes that vigilance, he takes that awareness, and he begins to distort a God-given design, a God-given emotion, a God-given mood, and instead of you becoming vigilant, you become hypervigilant. So you walk into a situation, you walk into a room, and rather than just being aware of your surroundings, you're hyper-aware of your surroundings. You're absolutely aware of every single detail in that room that could go wrong. And so here's all I want you to understand in anxiety, is that those feelings that you feel are God-given, they're just being distorted by the lies of the enemy. And you have to understand that if we're going to do anything, if we're going to conquer and if we're going to deal with anxiety, you have to understand that the enemy is taking a God-given design, a God-given emotion, a God-given mood, and he's just twisting it, and he's just distorting it, and he's making you believe a lie. But here's the truth, and here's the good news. The Bible offers tons of solutions of how we can overcome anxiety. And if you have a Bible with me, I want you to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to use the entire book of Philippians today. But also, we got something that we're trying for the first time, and you can try it out. We're going we're gonna to be talking about it all throughout the, uh, the next few weeks and hopefully help some of you do it. But if you have the YouVersion Bible app, if you have that, if you want to open that, we're actually live right now on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you want like any of my notes or some of the points or any of that, it's live on that app right now. So all you got to do, open the YouVersion Bible app. There's a little, um, on the bottom right-hand screen, you see three little bars. Just click, click those three little bars and you're going to see a tab that says events. Click events and you're going to see overwhelmed part two. And it actually tracks the location that we're in. It's some CIA really cool stuff that we've got going on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you have a phone, enable your locations. It'll find you. You can click on that event and you can follow along. I've got all the scripture there. We've got all the notes. We've also got some of the announcements and um, we've got some, some external readings. If you want to go and you know, study this further, you can do that as well. But from now on, here on out, we're actually going to be live on version. So if you're looking to take notes or you want any of that kind of stuff, it's always going to be on there. If you need help, um, you know, downloading the app or something like that, I'd love to help you with that after service. If you're still stuck in the Stone Age, I don't know if we can do anything for you. But anyway, so from, from cover to cover, the Bible is full, full of hope, full of different ways that we can overcome anxiety. But specifically in Philippians chapter 4, there is this specific verse that is quoted over and over and over again if you deal with anxiety. And I read it last week, but I want to read it again. Paul says this, Philippians 4.3, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. 
Now, oftentimes, if you're dealing with anxiety, somebody may quote this scripture back to you like, hey, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. God's got it. And then you turn around and you walk away and you go, but I'm still scared. I'm still freaking out. I'm still anxious. And that scripture does absolutely nothing for me. I, th- I find a lot of times as Christians, sometimes because we don't have the answers, we give these cop-out answers. I don't know what to say, so hey, listen, just take two scriptures and call your pastor in the morning and deal with it later, <laughs> right? And oftentimes we read scriptures like this, and I think that the reason that they don't really do anything, the reason that they don't minister to our soul is because we don't understand the context behind them. And so what I want to do is I want to build some context out for this verse because if you understand what Paul is trying to say in Philippians 4.3 and even the situation that he finds himself in at this very moment, you're going to understand that he's not just saying, hey, just don't be anxious. Don't worry. Actually, right now, as Paul writes to the Philippian church, he is in extreme situations that demand like anxiety overload. He's in prison right now. He's writing to the Philippian church, and he's also understanding one thing. If they find my letters that I'm writing to the Philippian church, they're going to kill everybody in Philippi, and they're probably going to kill me. So the context behind this verse, which is phenomenal and, and, and crazy to me, is that Paul is telling them, don't be anxious, and he finds himself in the most anxious situation possible. And he's writing a reminder to the church, reminding them, hey, listen, stand firm. I know your world seems like it's falling apart around you right now. I know you have every single reason to worry. I know you have every single reason to be anxious, but I want to remind you, because of Christ, we can stand firm. Now, how can Paul say this in the middle of dire circumstances? How can he say something? This is in Philippians 1.27. He says, above all, You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Now, let me define that term, stand firm, in the scriptures. I think this is pretty cool. The term stand firm simply means, this is what Paul's telling them, don't give in to panic and don't give in to anxiety. Don't give in to panic. Don't give in to anxiety. I know that your circumstances seem grim. I know that everything around you seems like it's crashing down, but I want to remind you that you have every reason to stand firm. You have every reason to find confidence in your relationship with Jesus. How can Paul say this in the middle of such anxious circumstances? Now, here's what I want to, before we dive any further into this, here's what I want to say. When we go into a series like this, I'm not saying that right now that God's going to just take your anxiety away from it forever. Man, you may, you may, maybe God sets you free and then still later on in this life, you deal with remnants of anxiety. You deal with situations where your anxiety flares up. But here's what I do want you to understand. It's on the other side of heaven that God will free us of that anxiety. On the other side of heaven, that God will free us of that anxiety. We know that in Revelations 21 verse 4, it says, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order passes away. But the reason that we can find freedom and the reason that we can stand firm right now is because we've read the end of the book and that we know that Jesus ultimately is going to overcome everything. That ultimately, at the end of the day, that he has our good in mind. So here's what I want to get across this morning. 
When anxiety assaults us, we stand firm because we know that we experience victory in Jesus. So Paul's going to give us seven different insights in Philippians of how we can actually overcome anxiety. I don't have time to go through all seven, so what we're going to do is I'm going to cover three this morning, and then I'm going to cover four next week. So the first one, if you want to get on a path where we can overcome anxiety, the first thing that you have got to do, and this is so important, the reason I put this as number one is because you can't move to number two, three, four, five, six, or seven without this one. Number one, guard your relationship with Jesus. Guard your relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Paul is going to saturate Philippians in this letter to remind the people, hold your faith, guard your relationship with Jesus, stand firm, don't forget about the faith, don't forget about what Jesus has done for you in the past. In Philippians 1, 6, he writes, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. So here's what Paul would say to us today. Here's what Jesus would say to us today. Maybe you walked in these doors a few months ago and God did something radical in your life. God saved you. God changed you. God gave you a new view. God gave you a new perspective. And then over time, life begins to play out. Marriage begins to happen. Finances begin to happen. Children begin to happen. Your job begins to happen. Stress begins to happen. And all these things begin to compact and you begin to lose sight of that God that saved you in the very beginning. Because all of a sudden you have all these worries, you have all these stresses, you have all these things, and here's what Paul is saying. Don't forget about the God that started the work in you because he's also coming back to finish it. And oftentimes in the middle of anxiety, in the middle of worry, I find a lot of times we have this amnesia that takes place. We forget that God has always been there with us and that God at the end of the day is going to complete the work that he's done in us. I wrote this down as I was thinking through this. To deal effectively with life's daily fears, we must first deal with life's ultimate fear. Eternally separated from Christ. Life's ultimate fear is being eternally separated from Christ. Hebrews 2.15 says, explains it this way, that apart from Christ, we live every single day a slave to fear and anxiety. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we live every single day chained to anxiety. So the reason that I write, guard your relationship with Jesus is because there is no freedom in anxiety outside of your relationship with Christ. None. It's impossible to free ourselves from anxiety and fear outside of Jesus. So I want to give you three reasons because I don't want to just say, hey, guard your relationship with Jesus. All right, get out of here and just go do that. I want to, I want to help you and in, in to do that. So how do we do that? How do we guard our relationship with Jesus? Number one, I think this is very important. We've got to renew our view of God. We've got to renew our view of God. Because oftentimes, I've said this before, oftentimes our view of God, the way that we view God is oftentimes the way that maybe we view our father or our mother or an uncle or a parent. And so maybe, maybe your dad, when you were younger, he abandoned in you. So you get into this relationship with Jesus and you think that as soon as you screw up, God's going to bail on you. Or, or maybe you view your relationship with Jesus just like you saw your dad. He made all these promises to you, and he said that he was going to be there, and he said he was going to show up, and he said he was going to do this, and he said he was going to do that. And so your view of God is just like your earthly father. 
But if you understand the scriptures in Philippians, Paul's going to write in verse, chapter 4, verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. In verse 7, he writes, the peace of God will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 9, he writes, the God of peace will be with you. So when anxiety strikes, we often focus on our feelings so much that we lose sight of the true view of who God really is. Anxiety oftentimes twists the view that God really is in our life. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your fears on him because he cares for you. And I think oftentimes the reason that we can't get to this place because we don't, we don't really think that God is near. How many of you have ever lived in this cycle before? Maybe you feel like, okay, man, this week, I'm do, I'm, me and God, we're, we're doing really well. We're doing good, and then maybe something comes down, something in your marriage happens, and you scream at your wife, and you have an argument, and something goes down, and you feel like, all right, God, I'm back here again. I know I was like on par 10, and now I'm all the way back on one, and I've got to climb back up the ladder to be in better standing with Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember, this, I remember this living in this perpetual cycle many times. Me and God are good. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been treating my wife well. I haven't done anything wrong with my kids. The church is going great. And then I get one phone call and I blow it all, right? And then I got to move down to level two and I got to work my way back up into right standing with God. The thing I love about the Psalms is God even says this, that God is the nearest to those that are broken, that he is the closest to those that are in the middle of their struggle. So if we're going to guard our relationship with Jesus, we have to renew our view of who he really is, that he really is near to us. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of just huge anxiety. And you relate with the Psalms when it says, man, God is so close to you right now. And maybe the reason that you can't feel him, maybe the reason that you can't experience him is because you have a wrong view of who he really is. What is your view of God? Is he angry at you? Is he holding a grudge against you? Is he unforgiving towards you? If this is your view, you have to renew your view of who God really is or you're never going to find freedom in anxiety. You don't stand a chance at freedom if you have a wrong view of who Jesus is. The second thing is this. We've got to learn to worship your way out of anxiety. Worship your way out of anxiety. Because let me put it this way. In anxiety, we choose a crippling focus on our circumstances. So let me put it another way. Anxiety is the worship of our worry that drives us to cling to fear. So listen. If we worshiped our way into anxiety, then we have to worship our way out of anxiety. Because anxiety ultimately is coming from the worship of our worries, the worship of every possible scenario that could go wrong. And when I say worship, I mean this, whatever we choose to give our all to, whatever we choose to give our focus, whatever we choose to give our attention to, and I know what some of you are thinking right now. How can I even worship God? How can I even thank God for what he's done in my life when I feel like God is just not even there? He's non-existent right now. How can I worship my way out of anxiety? What does that even mean, Pastor Zach? How can I even get to that place if I feel like so abandoned and so alone and so rejected? 
Listen, it comes back to renewing your view of who God really is. In Isaiah 41, it says this, I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God, what is God saying to us right there? He says, listen, even when you feel so weak, I'll come along and I'll strengthen you. I'll come along and be the one that carries you along when you feel like you can't do it anymore. Whenever your anxiety comes, you remember the truth of the scripture. Do not fear, for he is with you. Isaiah says that Jesus will be with you in the middle of your anxiety. Instead of worshiping your worries, you have to learn to worship the truth about what Jesus says about who you really are. I remember when we started this church almost, it's crazy, in September it'll be three years now. Um, But when we started this church, I remember the very first Sunday, I was still living in Jennings at the time, we hadn't bought a house here yet, and so I I was like, man, I gotta be here early. I woke up at four in the morning and drove to Crowley and I was here like (laughs) 4.30. I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) I remember just being so anxious, so nervous, because you're looking at, man, we've put six months of work into this and what if nobody shows up? What if like nobody comes? What if it's just a total bust and it fails and I'm like a just complete loser? (laughs) And I remember coming up and I show up because it, it, it was the only place at the time, like I show up, I'm like, where do I go? I go to McDonald's <laughs> and drink some really bad coffee. So I sit down at McDonald's and I'm just praying and I'm like, man, what a, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember for the next probably hour to an hour and a half, I just prayed and I, I put headphones in my ears and I just worshiped. And there was something over time that began to come over me that was really like a peace and going, man, at the end of the day, Zach, you can't control what's going to happen in these circumstances. You've put in the work, you've done everything that you can do, and now it's completely up to God. Do you, do you remember the example that we gave last week when, when I said this, that anxiety causes a fight or flight mentality, and Peter chose to do both. Remember when they come to arrest Jesus? He said, oh, you're not taking my Jesus. What did he do? He cut his ear off. And then he, the other time, he, he denies Jesus three times. He runs away. No, I don't, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because if they find out that I'm with Jesus, they're going to kill me too. He had a fight mentality and he had a flight mentality. What about the circumstances changed? Absolutely nothing. Jesus still was murdered on the cross. And so here's what worship does. Oftentimes, when you're in the middle of anxiety, you can do nothing to change the circumstances, and the only thing that you can do is worship. The only way that you're going to change your mood, the only way that you're going to get to a different spot where you can hold on and you can say what Paul says, don't fear in this moment, is if you can get to the place where you say, okay, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I trust in you, a God who knows the future a God who knows the outcome, a God who knows what's going to happen. Sometimes the only thing that you can do in the middle of anxiety is worship. There's a a book by Louis Giglio. I recommend that you would read it. It's, It's really, really good, but he talks about this dark, dark time that he went through this season of just anxiety. They're in the middle of planting a church. They're in the middle of doing all these things, and he feels like, he's like, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. 
And he, and he went to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor and nothing helped. And he said, the only thing that got me to the place where I was able to be strong in my relationship with Jesus again and I could love my wife again was worship. Was worship. Getting to a place where there's realizing, okay, there's nothing that I can do to change these feelings, these moods, these emotions that I'm feeling. So I'm just going to place all of my trust, all of my anxiety at the feet of Jesus and know that he's got it. Number three, if we want to, excuse me, if we want to guard our relationship with Jesus, we've got to see God as a rewarder and not a hoarder. We've got to see God as a rewarder and not a hoarder. See, when worry assaults us, everything looks negative and dark and hopeless, right? And we think that God is withholding things from us. Just show of hands, how many of you have ever prayed this prayer like, God, where have you been? <laughs> God, why are you withholding this thing from me right now? God, where are you at? Do you not see my circumstances? Do you not see what's going on? I remember a time in my life, I was, it was the first year in uh, Bible college, and I remember, uh, no, second year, sorry, second year, and I did not want to go back. There was a great argument for me not to go back and, and ask me about the story later on, but it was this huge argument with me and some of my pastors, and I did not want to go back there, and I'm there for about three months, and I remember just being so discontent, like I want out of here. I remember, <laughs> I remember grabbing this rock, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but if anybody approaches me, I'll throw it at their head. But I remember grabbing this rock, going and walk out of these dorm rooms, and there's this huge field in the middle of these dorms. And I stand in the middle of the field, and it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just start shouting at God, like yelling at the top of my lungs, where are you? What's going on? It feels like nothing in my life is working out. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Anybody, like, you just throw a hissy fit. Anybody know what I'm talking Like, you just, like, shout at God, like, where are you? I don't want to do this. I just want my circumstances to change. And I felt like God was keeping something from me. And I remember in that very moment, after my shouting, after my screaming, after my crying, I remember very distinctly, God spoke something to me. And he said this. He said, Zach, I'm not withholding anything from you. He said, I know something that you don't. And oftentimes, God always has our good in mind. And when we think that he's withholding something from us, he's only holding it back because he has something better for us. And oftentimes when we think God is hoarding something, he's saying, no, 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 I'm just holding this back because I know if you take that turn, if you go down that road, I know the destruction that is waiting for you. I know the things that are going to happen when you take that turn. But yet again, when we view God as a hoarder and not a rewarder, we have a complete wrong view of him. And what do we do? We let our guard down and we're not protecting our relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 11:6 puts it this way. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, if you understand the character of God, you will know that his greatest reward, his greatest desire is to reward his children. His greatest desire is to reward his children. I can't tell you how many times I've had it all planned out to want to reward my children and they just blow it. Anybody, like, speaking of that, yesterday. 
So Claire and I had this whole thing planned out. We're like, we're going to go to the park, we're going to have fun, and then after we wake up from naps, we're going to go and we're going to get snow cones. And the whole day, they're begging us for snow cones. Dad, can we have, and we never mentioned anything about snow cones, but it's like kids, they have this intuition. They're like, mom and dad are thinking about snow cones, so let's ask them now, you know. Like they have this intuition, and I remember him like, son, we're, we're not getting them right now. We're not getting them right now. We're not doing it. And, and they can't keep begging, and they keep begging, and they keep pleading, and they keep pleading, and they keep begging, and they keep nagging. Until finally, as a parent, you're like, you're not getting any snow cones for two years, <laughs> is what you want to say, right? But if they would understand, if they could have tapped into Claire and I's mind, they would know that our intentions all along was to reward them. Our intentions all along was to treat them. And the only reason that we were holding out is because we knew there would be a better timing after naps were over, right? The only reason that God withholds, even in the middle of your anxiety sometimes, is because he has a greater good in mind for you. He has a greater good in mind for you. And so sometimes this is where worship comes in. This is where worship comes in. When you can't do anything to change the circumstances, you just step back and you say, okay, God, I trust you. I don't know what you're doing in this moment. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to worship you in this moment. The second insight that Paul gives us into overcoming anxiety, and I think that this is the one that most of us understand, but we just don't do. Most of us, if you've grown up in any of the OSC churches, you've heard this term a thousand times, and for many of us, we, we're, we're even going to say that we have it, but I think that we really don't. Number two, commit to mature relationships with God's people. Commit to mature relationships with God's people. See, to address anxiety, we have to relate face-to-face with Jesus, and oftentimes it happens through godly people. Godly people. Oftentimes, when you are in the middle of anxiety and you feel like Jesus has left you and you feel hopeless, sometimes the most comforting thing that you can do is sit down with a mature, godly believer who loves you and cares about your soul, and in that moment, you can see Jesus in their face. In that moment, it's this tangible person that's looking in you in the eyes and telling you a tr- truth, and you know that it's coming out of love, and you know that they love you, and you know that they're trying to help you. At the end of the day, if you want to get over anxiety, you have to commit to mature relationships with God's people. In Philippians 4.1, Paul puts it this way, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you, and I long to see you. Dear friends, for you are my joy in the crown I receive from my work. So it's obvious that Paul has this deep affection for these people. It's obviously that he understands that, man, there is something to be found in community. And can I just put it this way? Community is not just friends that are there when you need them. Community is not just somebody showing up at the hospital when you're sick. Community is not just, you know, somebody to talk to you when you don't know where to turn. And those can all look like that. But at the end of the day, Paul is going to flood Philippians with all these different things that real community looks like. He even says this in Philippians 4.3. He says, loyal yoke fellow. Anybody ever heard that word before? Loyal yoke fellow. Help these women who have contended at my side. There's only one time in the Bible that that word is used, yoke fellow. And Paul uses it. 
And here's what it means. Yoke fellow or loyal friend is only used once and it refers to people who are united by a relational bond as close as family. And he only uses it once. But here's the word picture that he's painting. He's saying comrades, partners, loyal spiritual friends, a band of brothers, sisters in the spirit, teammates. So here's the thing. It's not just, man, I show up at the bedside when somebody's hurting. I show up at the hospital when somebody's dealing with something. Paul's saying this, travel with a few safe spiritual friends morning, noon, and night. Cultivate a band of brothers that know you. And when I say this, when I say know you, I mean like they can look at you in the eyes and they can say, I'm concerned for you and your marriage. They can look at you in the eyes and say, man, you know what? I love you, but I see pride in you. And rather than you going, oh, that hurts, you look at them and you say, man, that's my brother and I know that they love me and I know that they have my good in mind and I need to listen to that. So what does healthy community consist of? I think it's this one thing that we hate doing. Speak the truth in love through spiritual conversations. This is what real community looks like, that we learn to look our brothers and sisters in the face and we speak the truth to them in love. Paul says it again in Philippians 1.9. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So ministry is not just love and it's not just truth. It's both. In Ephesians 5, Paul puts it this way, that we grow up spiritually when we learn to speak the truth in love. The reason that so many of us have been serving Jesus for 10, 15 years and we still are babies is because of the fact that we have not learned to receive correction in love. In love. So let me give you four insights real quickly in how we do that. Because how many of you ever just, like, you want to, you desperately want to speak the truth to somebody, but you're not really good at the love part? (laughs) Or how many of you, how many of you are, like, really, really good at the truth part? You're like, oh, I have no problem telling them the truth. You're just really terrible at the love part, <laughs> right? So let me, let me give you four practical things on how we can speak the truth and love better to people, especially with anxiety. Number one, empathize with them first. Man, if you have a brother, if you are walking in community or with a sister or somebody that you deeply love and they're dealing with anxiety, rather than coming up to them and saying, oh, you need to fix that, It's you leaning in and saying, man, I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. I can't imagine what it's like to be in your shoes right now, to live with that fear, to live with that worry, to live with that anxiety. I can't imagine what that's like. So it's empathy. It's empathizing with them. And then the second thing is you begin to encourage them. So you empathize with them. I can't imagine what that's like. Then you encourage them. You know what? I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you walk through this. Here's what the Word of God says. Here's the freedom that we're going to find in this. After you've empathized, after you've encouraged, number three, then you expose. Then you get to the place where you expose maybe the the truth that needs to come out in their life. So yes, we need to empathize and we need to encourage, but we must accept that when somebody is dealing with anxiety, the main self-defense they have is self-protection. They, they throw up walls. I don't want to let anybody in because if anybody finds out who I am and if anybody finds out with what I'm dealing with, it's not going to be good. 
So after you've empathized with them, after you've encouraged them, what do they do? They slowly begin to let down some of those walls. But here's the truth. Healthy, godly community will not allow you to build walls around your heart. And here's what happens. Anxiety grows in the walls that you build around your heart, but godly friends will tear it down. Anxiety is going to build in the walls that you put up, those self-protecting measures that you put up. But if you live in godly, healthy community, they will speak the truth in love to you, and they will help you deconstruct those walls. So we empathize, we encourage, then we expose the sin, and then number four, we empower them. So now we say, hey, listen, I'm going to help you walk through this, and I'm going to empower you to get to freedom. I'm going to help you walk. I'm not only just going to expose the sin, I'm going to walk with you through this journey. The third insight that we see in Philippians, number three, cling to your identity in Christ. Cling to your identity in Christ. Man, if you want to overcome anxiety, you have to cling to your identity in Christ. You have to know who God says you are rather than who you think you are who, or who others say that you are. You have to cling to your identity in Christ. And two questions are central as we fight anxiety. Who is God and what is my identity in Christ? And the first question has to do with our image of God and the second question has to do with our image of ourself. And here's the truth. You'll either find your identity in yourself or in Christ and one's going to leave you feeling anxious. So there's two scriptures that Paul's going to give us. Philippians 1, 10 through 11. He says, for I want you to understand what really matters. So what he's saying, I want you to really understand what matters in this life so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. What is he saying? He said, this is a life that is defined by Christ. If your identity comes from Christ, then there is fruit and joy and peace that is going to flow out of that. And then he's also going to say, hey, you need to reject any identity that you have in the flesh. In Philippians 3.3, he says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So when anxiety attacks, our temptation is to focus on ourselves. but Paul is saying you have to reject this idea. When anxiety attacks, it's almost like we, we get this tunnel vision, right? All we can think about is our fears. All we can think about is our worries. All we can think about is our anxieties. And we put all this confidence in ourself. If I do this, then I can get out of this situation. If I, if I say this, I can get out of this situation. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you have thought through every single scenario and it doesn't matter how many times you think about it or how many times you flesh it out with other people, there's no way out? <laughs> there's just no way out. And so what Paul is saying, he said, listen, don't put your identity in yourself. Don't put your identity in how well you can think yourself out of the situation. In other words, he's saying if you put confidence in yourself, this is what anxiety is going to look like. Here's a few examples. I feel like something bad is going to happen that I can't control or handle because I'm too weak. Or maybe you say something like, I can't seem to stop preparing for the worst and imagining the worst about myself. 
Or maybe it's life is too hard and this situation is too, too big and I feel like I'm a child in an adult world. Or maybe you feel like I'm David against Goliath, but I don't see God in the scene. Maybe that's where you find yourself in the middle of your anxiety. As I bring this to a close, as I wrap this up, I want you to understand one thing. If your identity in your joy and your peace is rooted in Christ, there is not a single thing that this world can do to take it away from you. Every possession, everything that we work so hard to have and so hard to get and so hard to take with us, we can't. At the end of the day, the only thing that is going to matter is the fact that you are a son and daughter of Jesus. I have to fight every single day to remember this reality that I'm not Zach, the pastor of Our Savior's Church, Crowley. I'm not Zach, father of, of six. That sounds crazy. I'm and though I end those things, but at the end of the day, that ultimately I'm Zach, who's been forgiven by Jesus for everything that I've done. I'm a son of God. And though I have many failures, and though I have many things that may not work out like I want them to, that at the end of the day, if my, if my identity is rooted in Christ, there's nothing that can take that away from me. Nothing. And so like I said, maybe, maybe you walked in here this morning and maybe this wasn't exactly what you wanted to hear. Can I say this? Wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, maybe you don't get instantaneous freedom right now. And, and, and I hope that I'm not preaching that. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, some, the Christian life is the most joyous life that you can ever live, but it's also hard. <laughs> And you can't do it by yourself. You've got to guard your relationship with Jesus. You need mature relationships with godly people. Not just somebody that you can, yeah, I, I, can, I can tell my problems to. Not somebody that can just gossip with you along with the situation, but somebody that can look at you in the eyes and say, all right, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you through this. Somebody that can tell you the truth in love. And if you can cling to your identity in Christ, then here's this, you can stand in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the greatest anxiety in the world, and you can say exactly what Paul says, I can stand firm in the middle of anxiety because guess what? I know what happens in the end. I know what happens in the end. That God is for me, and if God is for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? So listen, if you're in here this morning, and you're struggling with anxiety, you're, you're struggling with worry, you're struggling with fear. I want you to know this, that if you surrender and you submit your life to Jesus today, that he is the only one, the only one that begins to give you that peace and that joy that you so need. It's not gonna be found in a relationship. It's not gonna be found in any kind of sexual identity. It's not gonna be found in anything else but Jesus. Nothing else but Jesus.